the Lazy Sunday Book Club with me, Sophie, and I'm joined by Annie. Hi. And Fee. Hello. This episode is our second book club book of August. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does to us. We're continuing with our theme of translated fiction, and the second book we picked was Chronicle of a Death Foretold by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. When we kind of decided that we wanted to do two shorter translated works, we wanted to make sure that they were like quite different. Mm -hmm. So they'd be from like different continents in different languages. So I thought, why not pick kind of a classic piece of translated literature? And really the only one that I've heard is Gabriel Garcia Marquez. His most famous works are long. So I basically just picked the shortest book of his that I could find, which is why we ended (laughs) up reading one that was, I think, like, 75 pages? It was really short, Mm. which was great. I read it in like three days. It was great. Anyway, so for those of you that haven't read the book, here's a quick summary. Chronicle of a Death Foretold is told from the perspective of an unnamed narrator, and it's about the murder of Santiago Nasa. The story follows this narrator as he tries to piece together how the events leading up to Santiago's murder and how it is that every single person in the town knew that he was going to be killed and knew who was planning to kill him and yet he was still killed it told from a journalistic perspective yeah it kind of reads this piece of like investigative journalism he's going back to this town that he grew up in he was a friend of santiago nasa he's interviewing everybody in the town asking questions following leads trying to put together a picture of how this happened so the book kind of feels like it simultaneously takes place over a very short period of time sort of the day of the wedding and the day after when Santiago is murdered and also takes place over a very long period of time in the years after that Santiago is murdered by the brothers of a woman whose name I have just realized I have now forgotten the f- her first name Angela Angela. Angela Vicario? Yeah. I yeah. Think that's right. Because on her wedding night, her husband finds out that she is not a virgin. And when asked by her family who took her virginity, she says that it was Santiago. At which point her brothers make the decision that to protect her honor, they have to kill him. And they essentially lie in wait the following morning to wait to murder him in front of his house. And yeah, that is... That is the plot of the book, I think. That is the whole plot. Yeah. Yeah. Eat your heart out, Wookie. <laughs> <laughs> I found this story simultaneously tiny and huge. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's yeah. what I was thinking when I was describing it. I was like, oh my god, I am saying so much yeah. for a book that was so short. And in my head, I'm like, I'm still leaving things out. Yeah. It has this sort of very... um. I don't know if immersive's the right world what word. What? But, <laughs> well, I was saying that it, there's a world of the novel that you kind of get stuck into. Mm-hmm. It's um, like being pushed into the deep end, and yeah. it's like swim, yeah. and you're like, okay. And, <laughs> he forgot to check the, whether or not I had my phone in my pocket. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> yeah. Was this the first time either of you have read anything by Gabriel Garcia Marquez? Yeah, yes. this is the first time I've even okay. heard of Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I was kind of expecting that in half because Annie keeps calling him Gabriella. Oh God, have I done <laughs> every- it already? Not no, no, episode, no, no. But every time leading up to this, every time we've discussed this book, that this is the book we're going to read. 
And he is called him Gabriella. And every time she calls him Gabriella, I just think of High School Musical. <laughs> and this is like the antithesis of High School Musical. So for an embarrassing amount of time now, I have two degrees in literature. And I have spent my whole life thinking that a woman named Gabriella Garcia Marquez wrote A Hundred Years of Solitude. And I, I think it's the A. It's the... <laughs> Because it's not, people don't call him Gabriel, they call him Gabriel, right? Yeah, yeah Gabriel, yeah. Gabriel, yeah. So something never clicked in my brain and I always thought that he was a woman named Gabriella. <laughs> That's my embarrassing <laughs> confession. And like, I now have the factual knowledge of that, but it hasn't completely sunk in. So when I'm not thinking about it and I'm quite tired today, which is not helping. I'm just going to slip up and be like, oh yeah, Gabriela Garcia Maltez. She was an amazing writer. I did love this book. <laughs> so apologies to him and, you know, to everyone. But I am sort of, I know of A Hundred mm. Years of Solitude, definitely. I just, you know. Yeah, because I've read A Hundred Years of Solitude. I read it ages ago and it took me ages. The book is, it's not actually that long, I don't think. I'm not sure how many pages it is, but it, it, it takes a long time to read just because it is this incredibly deep, immersive story with a lot of sort of like magical realism elements that it's quite hard to track. But that sense that, Annie, that you felt that it was very immersive, that you really get pulled into this place, mm. that really reminded me of that book, which... It's even more like that in, in 100 Years of Solitude because you are really just suckered into this location, into these generations of people. God, it's so weird to hear that there's a magical realism element to 100 Years of Solitude because this book felt so not grounded <laughs> in realism. Yeah. You know? And yeah. that, that feels so unusual for an author to sort of flick between such sort of, you know, clear realist narratives and such a kind of fantastical genre as well i think he was a journalist at some point i don't know if he was a journalist while he was an author or if he was a journalist before he was an author but i think that really kind of shows in this story in particular mm. oh god yeah so what did you i find a bit weird calling them characters but what did you think of the characters in uh what did you think of santiago it is quite hard because they feel like I sort of feel like I've listened to a true crime podcast about them. Yeah, I feel like I don't really know them. Mm -hmm. I've just, I've heard of them from a friend, you know? Yeah. Like somebody's <laughs> gossiped about them to me, but I don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. And I feel that distance with Santiago. I feel more distance with him the most, I think. Yeah. Than the other characters, because everybody's just kind of reminiscing about him mm -hmm. rather mm -hmm. than him being even though the whole thing is about him and his murder, he feels so distant in the story. Yeah, definitely. Do you know, I, sorry, I wanted to read more about it once I was finished, so I Googled it, and I found this critic, Isabel Alvarez Boland, who apparently talks about, this is the, the criticism that's cited on the text Wikipedia page, by the way, lest you think I'm <laughs> some kind of academic or something. But she talks about the text Conscious Fictionality, which is weird to me because I didn't get that at all. In in some ways, I felt the opposite, that this felt like a very... The characters felt real, not in the sense that, you know, they were they were well-established, there was a lot of detail, but they felt real in that the things that were said about them felt like facts. 
Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, no. Yeah. Do you know what it reminded me of? Mm-hmm. It reminded me of The Crucible for some reason. I can kind of see that. At least in the in in the uh communal murder aspect. I think it's the way that there's a community and you're kind of just thrust into it and you're like, I don't know who I can trust and who I can't trust and I'm not sure what's going on, but everybody's talking about this person. Mm-hmm. And the more you read it, I guess the more you kind of get a feeling for who you do trust and who you don't. But I think it's still quite, even quite messy, even when you leave the story, it gets muddled in your head. Yeah. God. I sort of feel like I'm still recovering from reading this, you know what I mean? I I feel like I've sort of got whiplash and I'm kind of... It was so immersive. You felt like you were there. Or at least, like, you certainly feel like you've talked to all these people. I don't feel like I witnessed the murder, but I feel like I've talked to everyone who has, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Weirdly enough, I feel like, as a character, Santiago... I got less of a sense of who he was than I got a sense of who the other people were, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think you come away... I think that's the thing that... One of the things I found really interesting about it, the whole book is about him, but it's about his death. It's not about him as a person. It's not... Well, especially because it's... He is, I think, the only voiceless character. He's the only person who's not been talked to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's also weird because the narrator sort of knows him you know the narrator is close with him the narrator is a friend of his but you still don't get that much of a sense of who he is you get these weird sort of and also the things that you get about him don't seem that real you know like that fact that he was obsessive about calculating how much the wedding cost Like, whereas everyone else, you get sort of facts about their emotional state. You get sort of things about them. I was surprised when I think it came out that the narrator was like a friend of his and that they had like gone to school together and that they had known each other for a long Mm. time. Because I was thinking kind of about the narrator and his perspective. It doesn't feel like that. Like, yes, he's driven to kind of understand what happened, but... You don't really get a sense of his sort of... It's very detached, his perspective, about how he feels about it. You feel like he could probably share a lot about Santiago that he just doesn't. Mm, Yeah. The narrative also feels kind of Mm spiral-shaped. In that it sort of rotates around the event of the murder, getting closer and closer to it. It's non-linear. You sort of, you go before the murder and after the murder and before the murder and after the murder and you get closer and closer to it. And it ends with sort of this description. But at that point, you sort of, you know so much about the sort of the day building up to it and the years afterwards, you know? Yeah. And what did you think of Angela? I think Angela reminded me of Abigail. I think that's why I think of The Crucible. So interesting. I got a completely different read on her. Okay, this is interesting. Do you want to explain? So, because Abigail's the one who who lies about the witchcraft, right? Mm -hmm. I saw Goody Proctor with the devil. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can kind of see that because it is... I mean, do you want to explain it, V? Like, kind of where you got that sense from? Well, so for me, I felt like Angela, when she was... It, she always had this different motive. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I, it's like I never quite mm. believed her. But it's not like that was being... I don't think it was being fed to me. I think it was just something I was wary about with her personality, reading her. I 
And I think, yeah, go on. I was going to say, because I think it was kind of floated at one point. Was she telling the truth? That's what I'm mm. saying. Yeah, it's when she says, who uh, who did this to you? And she says his name. And she says it so quickly, so rapidly. And she I, and I, I do think she knows what would have happened to say his name, to tell them. Mm-hmm. I think she knows that. And the fact that she still did that, even though she wasn't in love yet with or was she in love with him banana at that point the impression i got was that she fell in love with him after yeah so this was the other interesting thing about her character that was a thing she fell in love with him after right so my head was like so why would you throw someone that was your lover under the bus like that knowing what your brothers are capable of knowing what might happen and Mm -hmm. being like death is the likely outcome of this and so for me I felt like was it really him or is she is she protecting herself and she wasn't in love with him that much in the first place and that's kind of what reminded me of Abigail like this there's this ulterior motive for doing these things that are quite self-serving so Oh, do you want to go first? No, no. Yeah, the only thing I was going to say was that I always kind of wondered whether there was someone else that she was protect. Like, was she in love with another person and she mm. was protecting them? Because I think it's questioned at one point by the narrator, did he actually, was he actually the one that took her virginity? Yeah. And I guess I mm. kind of wondered, is she in love with another man in this town and she lost her virginity with him and she essentially just threw Santiago Nasser under the bus? Mm. But mm. it's never really... When you learn of all the other men in town, you don't really have anyone else that kind of comes up as an option. It's kind of that's what I think. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out anybody else she was trying to protect. All I could think mm. of was. But I sort of think mm-hmm. there's a sense in which the narrative is uninterested in the question of who it was. It's yeah. just interested in the question of whether it was or wasn't Santiago. You know. But I think that's why I feel like the narrator is unreliable mm. to, to a certain extent because I don't feel like sometimes he's focused on the truth of the death. I think he's just focused on the death itself. Yeah. Because mm. I think there is also a point when he does ask her later, when he does meet her later and she says, yes, it was him. But I don't know. I don't know if I fully believed her when she said that. I don't know. I had a lot of questions. What What did you think of her? I always felt of her as someone who was swept up in something beyond her control. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I believed whether it was him or not, but I, first of all, the fact that she didn't love him, but she, she couldn't not marry him, you know, the way in which she wasn't able to not marry him. Yeah. And the way that the family was making her marry him always made me feel like she was very sort of... um. I felt like in the moments leading up to saying him and, and pointing to him, I felt like she had been a victim of circumstance. You know, she hadn't had options. She hadn't been mm-hmm. able to not marry him. Um, she had felt compelled to tell this new husband the truth. You know, I thought it was really interesting that the husband's just sort of very quietly returned her to the house and then the mother starts beating her you know and she's in a yeah. in a horrific situation and then in terms of picking him amongst you know to, to say I don't know if it was the truth or not I think it could have been the truth 
I don't know if it was the truth, but I think it could have been the truth. But I don't think she believed the brothers capable of harming him. Mm-hmm. Because I think, like, to me, that was like a key part of the story. The idea that, you know, the brothers, obviously they did something terrible, but they have this weird, like, jarring going back and forth between sort of... um you know that they don't regret it but they also seem traumatized by it you know they seem very uncomfortable and it seems like a lot of the people in the town don't like one of the reasons why it's not taken seriously although not the only reason certainly is that no one believes that the brothers will do it you know they're not Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. not normal and they themselves like they both have a flake out and if they both had the flake out at the same time Mm. it wouldn't have happened it was that they they sort of one of them was angry and hyped up the other and then the other was hyped up Mm. and the first one was sort of flaked out and the hyped up one was like no we're gonna do like maybe it was the way in which the story was told but yeah I just I I don't think I I felt a lot more sympathy than for her than I did sort of suspicion towards her because I think she sort of had been in a situation so outside of her control and I could absolutely see a world in which she didn't think the brothers would do anything to him. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. That's kind of one of the other questions that gets floated is, do we think that the brothers were trying to get people to... Do you think they were trying to find a way out? Because they went around telling absolutely everybody and they weren't even really hiding the knife. Isn't it said deliberately at one point that they were looking for someone to stop them? I think that's what the narrator thinks. But again, it's hard to tell whether that's what he thinks or whether it's like a fact. But you do kind of get the sense that that does feel right. Because they do tell an awful lot of people what they're planning. Mm. To kind of an insane degree if they really were actually trying to to do this effectively. Mm. You would probably not tell Mm. everybody in town what you were planning. Yeah, I think they were looking for a way out. But then I don't know, you know, I don't know. I just find the behavior confusing because it's very it's very hard when you're reading the story to figure out what you trust and what you don't trust. Because the some things you do trust don't necessarily tie in with one another. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so... You know, I des- I necessarily don't trust Angela in her innocence of not knowing what might happen to him by confessing. Mm. But at the same time, everybody was saying that they knew they were the twins were going to kill him, but they didn't think that they were capable. So were they looking for a way out? And did the residents just not feel like, well, they're not going to do it, so why talk them out of it? Because might as well just say like okay yeah whatever Mm. i don't know it's confusing it is confusing yeah i did think one of the other things that was kind of interesting and what kind of confusing was also kind of what exactly are the moral like not the moral values of the town but like there's this weird expectation of honor like the brothers feel like they have to do this Mm. to protect the honor and they kind of get off on this um on this argument like they don't get convicted of murder Mm. Well, they went to prison. 
No, weren't they just held until their trial? And then they were kind of like, yeah, you were honor. And then they get arrested immediately after. Yeah. Mm. The event and we do see them and then i think i thought because there was that whole thing about the woman who waited for one of the brothers because she thought he was right to do it and she but maybe that was just well yeah anyway i think they were arrested for they by the the way i understood it was that they were arrested for a long period of time like they were taken somewhere else and maybe had a trial but were then found that they were justified in what they did and yeah. again there was this one woman who was like yeah i would never have married him if he hadn't done it you don't really get the sense that everybody else in the t- like everyone else in the town kind of agrees with them, but you also don't get the sense that this had to have happened. Yeah, yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Do you know what it reminded me of? What that I'm only now just thinking about. Do you remember our GCSE Greek set text? Which which one? You mean you mean you mean the Iliad? The Lysidas. It was a speech, a trial speech. Oh, this, okay. Sorry, I was like, I only remember doing the Iliad, and I was like, oh, does this relate to Hector? <laughs> so no, no, not at all. It was the prose composition. So the prose text from our mm-hmm. in our GCSE Ancient Greek was this weird. It was like a speech, and it was like a real speech document or or sort of like a record of a speech that had happened in a trial where someone was trying to claim that they had murdered a man in a crime of passion because he had slept with this guy's wife oh okay i remember this yeah he discovered them sleeping together and had murdered him and the sort of the law said that if it was a crime of passion if if like it wasn't planned it was just that he'd seen them together and murdered them Uh, then it was fine. Mm -hmm. So the whole speech was about sort of proving that he hadn't known beforehand, and then the second he knew, he immediately murdered this guy. Yeah. And in a way, it's not like that at all. (laughs) That sort of guy gathering together body of evidence kind of thing reminded me of that text. I think it was Demosthenes? Yeah. I do kind of remember that now. And it's that sort of body of evidence kind of thing. Except I think that, weirdly enough had more of an agenda. I wasn't sure what this was doing, except sort of... I didn't get the sense that the narrator wanted to persuade me of anything, or that he wanted to... Because, like, he ruminates on whether or not Angelica called... Angela is telling the truth. But he never sort of comes to a conclusion. It's more just that he's sort of stuck on the murder. It's this event in his life that he can't move Mm. past. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's almost like this is a trauma for him. And he almost wants to unpack it, but it's not necessarily, I don't know, it just didn't feel like it was moving. It it felt like a very stagnant novel. Mm. Despite being like moving around time and stuff like that. But I felt, I don't know, I just felt enclosed in this community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think... Mm. Yeah, I definitely, I feel like, I definitely feel like that was kind of like sort of part of it that they are all kind of stuck because there are no like full answers. I think he is kind of going around in circles. He's like, mm. but did mm. did he do it? But does that even matter if they believe that he did? Could they have stopped it? Well, yeah, he kind of comes around at all the points when this could have been averted, but it still happened. So he's just kind of left mm. circling this incident that he's sort of, it's almost like he's approached this to sort of unpack everything about it, has sort of gone through that process. Mm-hmm. 
and is now just still left with the same thing that he had when he started. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's definitely not kind of cathartic in any way. Oh, God, no. (laughs) You are not going to find any catharsis in this (laughs) at all. Can I ask, because Sophie, you've read his work before how Mm -hmm. does this narrative like the way the story is written and described are there any parallels between his other work or is it quite unique in itself okay so i did read 100 years of Solitude like 10 11 years ago so it's a bit hazy in my mind but what i remember very distinctly is less the book it's more kind of the vibe and the experience of reading it, which is that you kind of essentially just get lost in this place mm. and in this mm. time and with these people and things move. That kind of weird time aspect where things are moving at a slightly, it's not linear, it kind of is linear, but that kind of weird displacement and that isolation I did find kind of similar to what I remembered from A Hundred Years of Solitude. Mm. But in other ways, yeah, it's very different in that the whole magical realism element, which is a large part of Hundred Years of Solitude, is completely absent from this work. There mm. is no magical realism in this at all. Well, there's not. But one moment that did feel vaguely magical realism or something about it had like a an otherworldly vibe was the moment where the husband turns up very suddenly with all of these unopened letters. Mm. Like, when you said that thing about magical realism, it immediately made me think of that moment because that has, in the midst of this very sort of dour and real and stressful book, that had a kind of unreal quality to it. I felt like I let out of breath. I didn't know I'd been holding in. It was weird. Mm Mm-hmm. That moment was quite strange. I mean, I guess, because again, Baynard is this kind of mysterious figure in the story. He just sort of appears in town. He is very wealthy. He comes from like a a military Colombian family. His father is like a very well-known general, I think Mm -hmm. it was. General, yeah. But he is, and he just decides that he's going to marry Angela. Doesn't really call her. He just kind of decides that he's going to marry her and she doesn't really have any options in this. She can't really say no. He's very rich. Uh, and mm. he just kind of decides that he does whatever he really wants, really. Like, he just decides he's going to buy this old man's house. Oh, that that was devastating to me. That the was old really man's sad. house. <laughs> yeah, he just decides he's going to marry... widow's house that he just decides he's going to buy and then, like, mm. forcefully buys and the old man's devastated and... Yeah. Oh, that was so sad. Yeah. But yeah, essentially after after what happens with Angela, he is kind of devastated. He just kind of Yeah. Remains in his house and is then sort of taken back out of town by his family eventually. And then he's not really seen or heard from again until he comes back to Angela. Mm. And their whole relationship is just Oh, it's so weird. <laughs> There's like so much there that there's just so many red flags there and you just want to just go around the town and point out all the red flags and just say look i'm just gonna tell you this should not be you should not be judging women by their virginity one two Mm. how do you even know how do you know she wasn't into it three like why do you condone murdering people four 
Angela, you, you can do so much better. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> she wrote so many letters to him and he didn't even have the decency to open them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He just turns up, he goes, okay, so what now? It's like, I'm sorry, hang on. There's a different deal on the table here now. You One, you've not opened the letters. Two, you're bold and you're just like turning up with a suitcase. You need to give me some backstory here. <laughs> like, this guy, honestly. <laughs> it is very strange to sort of see these two characters essentially reconnect for entirely unknown reasons because we know that she fell in love with him in this deeply obsessive way. Yeah, that was a bit weird. But he hasn't read her letters so aside from knowing that she's obviously thinking about him mm. he doesn't really know how she feels about him but that's still kind of no he just thinks well she's reliable because she's she's sent me these letters over how many years so i'm guessing something bad has happened is that what he thinks is that like is it that he thinks she's reliable i got the sense that was a kind of oh god i you know how we've talked about how my love of Jane Eyre proves that I have the absolute worst taste in men? Ah, uh, yes. Please, Annie, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I do know what you mean. There is kind of something, not it's not romantic, but there is something. I just want to know more about what exactly is going on in this man's head. He has not the reactions that you expect him to have to any circumstance. I'm sorry, I'm just living in the world of 2022 and I'm not giving this man any reason to, to I'm not giving him any reason for me to. Sort of felt like it was a happy ending for those two characters. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I can't well, think, but like a, oh, well that's at least something not terrible. Like, let me let me tell you something just because people reunite does not mean they're meant to reunite <laughs> yeah i mean i guess like in a book where everything is pretty grim they did you feel like they got what they wanted whether or not what they wanted was the right thing for them but like it just didn't feel sincere though the moment didn't feel so sin sincere it didn't feel like love mm. no it felt more like something stranger than that it felt like ex like there was something not right there. It almost felt like settlement or closure, but but it wasn't love. Mm. So here's what's interesting to me. This was inspired by something that actually happened. Oh yeah, I think I've read that before. A murder that took place in 1951, and the two big differences between this, uh, the, the, the novella and the, the real life incident are, or at least the ones that Wikipedia, my source of inspiration and all knowledge, the two sort of differences that it cites is, number one, in real life, it was absolutely certain that, you know, this was the person that she had slept with. It was a former boyfriend. And number two, they reunite in the no novella, but they don't reunite in real life. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Was it? I, it? It's weird to me. Like, it's a choice. Yeah, I... 
I can, I can, I feel like I can, I can sort of understand him adding this, this sense, like this, this air of ambiguity to like whether or not it was him. Oh god, like, absolutely! That, I think that's that from like a literary a... perspective makes a ton of sense to me. The whole reunion thing, yeah, that is weird. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting decision to add that, mm. and I don't think I fully understand why. <laughs> understand it but i like it not in a i mean not in a sort of you know i think it's a good thing and they're happy together kind of thing but i think it's a really interesting choice i'm still thinking about it you know and i think that moment the quality of it has this weird unreality that was so sort of separate from the rest of the novel Mm. Mm -hmm. it was probably the most unexpected thing yeah which is especially weird in a book about events that are sort of tragic and unstoppable. Yeah. You know, it feels like the entire novella feels like someone's pushed a rock down a hill and you're just watching it tumble towards the bottom of the hill and there is nothing you can do to stop it and there's nothing you can do to change anything, you know? Mm -hmm. And then they're getting back together. Sort of feels like the rock magically appearing at the top of the hill again or something. Like, yeah, and you're just left looking at crushed houses that the rock left in its wake you know mm. yeah it definitely adds a sense of i guess a deep <laughs> deeper sense of tragedy to the whole thing because i yeah maybe that's why he did it because it's in the end they end up where they started and santiago's murder hasn't changed anything for them yeah their story kind of got interrupted by it, but at the end of the they they arrived at the same point, and that's mm. kind of all <laughs> in mm. a way. I agree, actually, that's interesting. There's this weird kind of Gatsby-ish quality to it, in that if he if she is lying about it being him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if she did sort of know what would happen, that they, they're sort of two people who who just. All of the obstacles in front of them got crushed and they eventually ended up exactly where they knew they would, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. That There's a sort of Daisy and Tom element to it. But I sort of don't see that for her. I don't think, like, there's a weird tragedy to her as a character that doesn't completely sort of square that circle. But I do think it is, there is a sort of tragedy to the fact that they ended up together anyway, you know? Yeah. I guess there's also a tragedy to the sense that, like, did she end up with the the only man that would accept that? Like, was he really just the only option available oh. to her after this? And that's pretty depressing to think about. I don't know. Spinsterhood was always an option. I mean, yeah, Spinsterhood is a very valid option. Yeah, but it's but... also but but her family was already poor. Yeah. Hence why they wanted her to marry these guys. Yeah. Because they were rich. So for her to end up as a spinster, that is a burden for her because she has no financial freedom. Yeah. When was she making money as a seamstress? I kind of assume. Yeah, but yeah, not enough. <laughs> <laughs> probably not enough to to and and she would have to stay at home with her parents probably. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know the ins and outs of the culture, but I'm guessing from what I've heard of other stories where it comes to women and uh, like religious women and 
marriage. It was a topic that really put me off the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't like... I felt this story was very male point of view around a fe- a, an, around a female. I have to say, yeah. one thing that gave me an enormous sense of relief was the fact that they didn't kill her. Like... Oh yeah. In a in a in a, in a case of honor based violence, the fact that yeah. they actually murdered the man and not her just gave me an overwhelming sense of relief because that could have happened. Like, not to make this even more depressing, but that did give me a huge sense of relief. I was like, oh, thank god. Yeah, but she did get a beating, yeah. and she, it's not like yeah. she didn't suffer loss. No, no, it's not that she didn't suffer. It's just that she. But I, I got. Yeah, I got. I just got really upset. I, not upset. I just like. I found it really. It was just an off-putting story for me. Just talking about all these actions were men on for men. Do you know what I mean? So he returned her because he didn't want to be a man, married to a non-virgin, and. Then the Mm -hmm. brothers wanted to kill him because I don't know if it was necessarily for her sake or for the family's sake. It was for family's honour. It was the family honour. So for family's honour. And we end up with a dead man and it feels all just testosterone based. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm. this whole story is revolving around men, opinions of men. Yeah. It felt like there were so many women in this story who who we didn't spend enough time with. That sounds weird. So the novel keeps on sort of brushing up against these women who are sort of not just I, I don't want to say these women who are living under a patriarchal system, although that's what I mean. Like these women who are their lives are dictated by the stuff of men. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we get close to thinking about them, but then we return to him again. Yeah. But not in a valuable or interesting way. We return to him without. And I couldn't tell if the novel was doing that on purpose or not, you know, if the novel was aware of that. So there's, it starts with his mother, and we learn that his mother was in a sort of loveless arranged marriage and that she loved the son, but not the husband. And then we get the cook who was only the cook because his father had had an affair with him and then when she was sort of done with him he was like okay you can be the cook now yeah and the cook's daughter who it's not clear if Santiago is assaulting the cook's daughter or it's just accepted that he will at some point but that whole reason is why the cook doesn't warn Santiago about the murder Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and then you know you get Santiago's fiance and Angela herself, but the narrator is uninterested in sitting with these women and thinking about the world in which they live under. You know, thinking about I don't know them. Mm, yeah, I kept on coming back to the cook and the cook's daughter. Right. Yeah. The only person I gave a pass to, honestly, was the cook because I was like, yeah, you know what? Fair enough. You're trying to protect your daughter. Yeah. I give you a pass. Everyone else, you were pretty negligent in not taking this shit seriously, but I honestly, I can understand the cook and her actions. Well, but also what's interesting to me is that she was the only person who thought that it was going to happen. 
Mm-hmm. No one else took the brother seriously, but she was. Uh, th- if it is a book about patriarchal violence, mm. she was the person who understood, who both took it seriously, but also was like, "Yeah, go ahead, kill him. You know, you'll be doing me a favor." Mm. Yeah. No, it's definitely a very heavy book. I did get like partway through it, and then I was like. Oh, and then I realized how young everybody was, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Did I pick a book about honor-based violence and serious youth violence when that's what I work in? I was like, what the hell am I doing? I'm an idiot. Oh my god, how young were they? I'm pretty sure he was only like 21 or something. Yeah, they were in like their late teens. Early she 20s? Early tw- I think the males were early the men, 20s. The, young, the women, and the were, women were like younger. They were in their teens, I think. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I assumed because this book was written in the 1980s, mm. and I'm guessing the journalist is talking about a murder that was taken part in place in the past. Mm. So I guessed around 60s. So the actual murder took place in the 50s. In the 50s, okay. Yeah. Also, do we get a clear sense of of when this is set? Like time? No. I don't think we no, do. I don't think we I do. Think the, what you get in terms of time is that it, this was written in the 80s and it's 17 years after the events that Angela mm-hmm. reunites with, what's his name? Yeah. So there's a sense that this is something that happened sort of at least 17 years ago. So, yeah. So I wasn't too shocked by the ages. Oh, no, no. The ages were, I mean... Yeah, the marriage. But like, I was still like, wow, this is a, (laughs) this was a serious topic to pick for a book. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was, it was a heavy book for something so short. Mm. But it reminded me of a book that would get taught in school, in high school. Oh, yeah. It's rich in a way that's easily analyzable. Uh, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like of mice and men. Uh, exactly. It's short yeah. and it's rich. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a short book. <laughs> you have anything more, Annie? One thing that I think is interesting, just in terms of, so we said that we said that we wanted to pick a book that was different, sweet bean paste in topic, in tone, yeah, um, in culture as well. You know, in we wanted to pick something. We're thinking about translated works, and we wanted to pick something from a different place. Um, but one thing I thought was interesting um, was that there's a difference in circumstances of translation. In that uh, the translator of Sweet Bean Paste, I think this was the first book that translator had translated. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is sort of you know. Um, this was translated by a man called, what is his name? Gregory Rabassa, or at least the version I did, the Penguin version. If you guys read the Penguin version, you would have had the same translation. And he was basically the Gabriel, Gabriel Garcia Marquez <laughs> translator. He was like, it. that wasn't the only Spanish author he'd translated but Mm -hmm. that was sort of like he's known as the translator of that he probably also did the translation of 100 years of solitude that you read and he was a very sort of famous and prolific translator of spanish and portuguese and yeah 
I, I thought that was interesting. I don't have any big insightful thing to say about this. I think I would need to read a lot more before drawing any kind of conclusion. But I did think while we're thinking about translated literature, that's a really interesting difference. That sort of experienced translator sitting with one author for a while. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think my biggest takeaway was like when you read these books, you are, I don't know, I think you always, I definitely keep in mind of the culture and mm. and I feel that when I'm reading the book and I think yeah like it doesn't feel like it's a it feels like it's not explained as part of the culture you're just put in you're like you're in it like visiting a country mm. you know you're just yeah. in it yeah and that's kind of I, I I do enjoy that aspect of reading translated work yeah and once again there mm. are kind of I think a lot of his works are kind of rooted in Colombian history. And again, there are kind of references to, I think it was Bayard's father was a general and it was kind of suggested, oh, he had a part in X war or something. There were kind of like allusions to the history that like, you're not going to fully understand. Well, I thought, I wasn't sure whether that was history or fiction because he is having he's mentioned as having fought against Aureliano Buendia who is one of the main characters of a hundred years of solitude apparently wait so is this a part of the same universe <laughs> brief references are made to Marquez's earlier novel once again Wikipedia um every podcast's number one source uh, brief references are made to Marquez's earlier novel, 100 Years of Solitude, with Bayardo San Roman's father being mentioned as having fought against Aureliano Buendia, one of that novel's main characters. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> oh, this guy is just like, yeah, I'll just casually just throw in my other work. Yeah. This is not- It's a real Taylor Jenkins read. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And again, that's kind of another thing that makes it so hard to to like root this in a time period because I'm like, is this is this a specific time that this happened? And it's like, nope, this is in fact a part of one of my other books that is incredibly hard to keep track of when time things are happening. It's great promo though. Like, oh, there's a character in another book. I should go read that. It's like, yes, you should. <laughs> I do. This did make me want to read A Hundred Years of Solitude, but like in a bit, you know? Yeah. You should. I definitely want to reread it. But it takes time. And also, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I would like to read at least three simple, easy, delicate novels, and then I'll think about A Hundred Years of Solitude. (laughs) I think he might have some short stories that have magical realism elements to them. So it might be good to maybe like ease into that. Oh my god! Sorry. Uh, just while we're while I'm floating around the Wikipedia page with this book, like a student who did not do the reading, this novella was adapted. Oh yeah, into, into a, mus- a Broadway musical. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, okay. <laughs> I know of another novella that was also adapted into a Broadway musical with very upsetting themes. That must have been a fun musical. Uh, Nineteen ninety-five. If if anybody doesn't get the my reference, I'm talking about Spring Awakening. I sometimes forget that musicals can be serious and dark. 
Oh, but yeah. yeah, Spring Awakening and this, and yeah. This was an unlikely pick for a musical, just because don't musicals often have a lot of like introspection, like characters with like, like the art songs used to like provide characters in priority. Yeah, I think it would be a very different. Yeah. Oh, apparently it was driven more by dance by than music. Dancing, singing, speaking, and posturing. Oh, okay, mm. that makes a bit more sense because I was like, I can't imagine any of these characters having like a long emotions-based song. Do you know what I mean? I could about the was it the mother with the dream, and she was like, yeah. I can't believe I mixed up the, the symbolism <laughs> of the dream. Trees and birds. It's like, oh, it's I, it's all right. I don't think it would have made a difference if I'm quite <laughs> honest. <laughs> okay, moving on to ratings. Annie, do you want to give a flyover of the rating system? I will, but Uh-oh. I think I think this is a one last flyover and then moving forward, like, you know, I'll do a very, very quick one. I need to work on getting it up to speed because I feel like every time I sort of slow down the progression of the recording with like 10 minutes on my rating system. Okay. <sighs> um, we rate things based on how we would buy them or not buy them as the case may be. Uh, one, a one out of five is don't bother with this. A two out of five is get it from the library. A three out of five is buy it in paperback. A four out of five is I would splash out on the hardback. And a five out of five is as I would buy a special edition with gilded edges and uh, special pages and illustrations and things. There you go, our five star rating system. Yeah. Okay. How would you guys rate this book? So I feel like it is high quality enough to be a four, but it was a three for me, you know? Mm. Mine, I'm going to give it a 2.5 for me. Yeah, I thought you might. Yeah. It wasn't my vibe, but like, (laughs) it wasn't, I didn't, it wasn't the storyline I, I didn't enjoy the story line and I found the reading not not difficult but it didn't keep me engaged do you know and like it's mm. good that it's so short because I could read it in one go yeah but I felt like if I put it down I wouldn't pick it back up mm. and that is the reason for my rating judges <laughs> wait do, yeah. do we exist in a 0.5 universe now do I we? Think we do. Do we? I, okay. I well, I gave last week's book a three point five. I think. I can't okay, mine two point five is like instead of a instead of it like being the library, it's a charity shop. So you have purchased it, but it's like yeah. a really like okay, yeah, second hand edition. Yeah. There we, we go. We, we got midpoints, yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh... Sorry, I'm still thinking. I am somewhere between a three and a four. I think I'm going to go with a four. Mm. I did really this enjoy this. This is a divisive book. Yeah. I think, I think, it's I think this not- is our most divisive book. Yeah. I think it's yeah. definitely so not something that everyone's going to enjoy. Mm. It's not sort of, it's not a vibes book. No, no. It's not a character <laughs> book. No. So no. 
it's not a book that I can see becoming wildly popular. <laughs> no, no. No. Yeah, no. I think there's a reason why it's not in his best seller category. Like But I think I do really like this author and I did enjoy I don't know, I, I did enjoy reading it, I think, and I don't know, I just found it really interesting and yeah, very sad. Mm. <laughs> but that kind of I kind of just I don't know. It does give me like sad girl vibes, you know? Yeah, I think also there was just something about I don't really know, but I, I don't know. I found something very compelling in kind of that central conceit of it being like this was ultimately preventable, but due to so many kind of just due to the way that everything worked out, like this long sequence of events, you can see how it ended up where it did. Like it makes sense that it happened in its own internal logic. And I just also really mm. like the way that he drags you into places mm. and yeah. into these towns. And this book is so short, but you get so immersed yeah. in the mm-hmm. world. Yeah. yeah. And I think that really kind of sells it for me. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. so yeah, I yeah, this is definitely our most controversial pick so far. So for me, it's one of those books where I'm not sure I enjoyed reading it so much as I enjoyed having read it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I enjoy thinking about it. I enjoy talking about it, but I found the reading of it really distressing. It's like yeah. an intelligent book, you know, you like, I liked reading it because I feel smarter for getting through it, but it doesn't mean I enjoyed reading it. <laughs> no. I think I would like to read more of his, this, this did make me want to read more of his works. It's sort of, ah. Oh. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with his three, but like, I feel weird because I know it's better than three, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah but that, that makes sense. I think ultimately, like, it yeah. wasn't, it was still kind of, yeah, there were times when it was like upsetting for me too, but I guess it just kind of got weighed out by how much I enjoyed kind of thinking about it afterwards. Oh no, it was so good. It was so good. Like, I think in six months, I'll think of it as a four, but I'm still slightly traumatized from the events, you know? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> okay yeah so um last should we talk about yep next month's book club yeah you... for all you book talkers out there you're yeah. gonna be excited yeah. <laughs> yeah you're going away from me picking weird books and also we're once again doing the thing of forcing ourselves to read a book that we want to read but never will read without having to read it I, um, I feel like we could do a series at the end of this. If we get through enough book talk books, we could do an episode of how reliable is book talk. Yeah, exciting. I also um, enjoy this as a you guys dragging me into reading book talk books that I otherwise just would not have. <laughs> like this, this, like my mom has this book. She must have bought this book when it came out. But I was, just yeah. like, I just never would have read it if it wasn't for this. I'm just like, yeah, cool. Anyway, the book is drumroll, please. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> um, uh, the Secret History by Donna Sart. Book Talk's other favourite book. The Dark Academia is out there. Yeah. And I'm very excited to try and read this one in the sort of hours before we start recording. <sighs> I'd like to see you try. <laughs> don't challenge her. Uh, and once again, we're going to be breaking it into two parts. So... We're going to be reading... Do we have a chapter point for when we're stopping or a page point? 
Okay, so this is 629 pages long. Lovely. Mm -hmm. Nice so, and juicy. So 315 would be the midway point. That's okay. Oh, that looks like there's a pretty good. Oh, okay. There is an almost perfect split. There is book two, mm -hmm. which is on page 304. Perfect. Okay, perfect. So we're reading book one of The Secret History by Donna Tart. That made life really easy for us. Thank you, Donna. Thank Tom. you, Donna. Thank <laughs> you, Donna. <laughs> All right. So before we end, you can find us on TikTok and Instagram. On Instagram, we are the Lazy Sunday Book Pod. On TikTok, we are the Lazy Sunday Book Club. Yeah. Yeah. As always, yeah. please come over there and talk to us. We would love to hear from you. And yeah, yeah we will speak to you next week. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.